Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin, except no suffrage. Good morning, dear listeners. Welcome to Acton Millwall. This is the third in my series of um, Christmas shows looking at Millwall items of historical and cultural significance, as I'm choosing to call them. Today we're looking at, I'm actually looking at the Lions of the South book, the famous masterwork by James Murray, which it occurs to me as I'm speaking is in itself an item of Millwall cultural significance a beautiful book outlining the history of the club from 1885 to the mid 80s um, written by uh, mill writer J- james murray it is a fantastic piece of of uh, literature and, and history um, but included within it which is the specific thing that i wanted to look at this morning with you is a famous page and it's a a, a reproduction of a page from a magazine in 1910 called Lottinger's Weekly. Um, Lottinger's Weekly was a sports magazine effectively. I'm just looking at an internet website as I'm talking. Lottinger's Weekly was an illustrated journal of sport. It started in March 1910. So this this page is October 1910 um, and it was killed off during the war um, when horse racing re- restrictions were imposed. It, it, was, it was kind of like a horse racing and football based magazine um its tipster was known as larry links i like that larry links and he moved on to another magazine called john bull which was a patriotic uh, magazine during the first world war managed by a guy called horatio bottomley who was um, a well-known um, mp magazine owner and eventually did some time for financial swindle but we're straying from the point of today's um, item which is a page relating to the opening of the new den not our new den Colblow Lane as the new den in 1910 so this magazine is dated October the 29th um, it's headed Mill's New Ground and it's got a series of photographs taken at Colblow Lane on the occasion of the grand opening against Brighton in, in October 1910. Um, the little piece of uh, description here, it says, After many years sojourn at East Ferry Road and North Greenwich, the old lions of the south, Millwall, migrated to a more populous district of New Cross. The opening ceremony of the new ground was performed on Saturday, where the Southern League champions Brighton and the Hove Albion 
provided the successful opposition in a one-goal match. The Brighton um, beat Millwall on famously on the opening of the of the Den at Coldblow, and they got a series of photographs taken um, at the opening, um, which was opened by Lord Kinnaird, who was the chairman of the FA. Some of the captions at the bottom are slightly uh, slightly hard to read. Um, but he got. I mean, you can certainly see Lord Kinnaird with his white beard there. I think Lord Kinnaird had played in the first FA Cup final. He was certainly a major figure in um, in FA Cup um, history, in FA history. There's the the a very amusing anecdote that um, such were the crowds at the new um, Coldblow Lane ground that um, Lord Kinnaird had gone to the wrong end to, to get in to actually open the ground officially. He'd gone to what we now call the um, the Alderton Road end um, the, in the in the history um, lines of the south. It's billed as the Canterbury Road end, um, dog track end, whichever way you want to call it. Where Lord Kinnaird, Old Etonian, Lord High Commissioner, merchant banker, wealthy landowner and big cheese in the FA had gone to the wrong end. Such were the crowds at the opening of the new stadium that he couldn't get round to the correct end, which would be the Coldblow Lane end. Um, and he had to be dragged unceremoniously, says James, um, in, over the gates to get in to make it down to the uh, the players' tunnel end where he's pictured in Lottinger's Weekly performing the honours to, to actually open the ground. So as I say, the photographs are... Um, I mean, it's a, it's a reproduction of an old magazine. Um, so they're a little bit hard to make out, but I can see... Uh, there's an image of the Coldblow Lane end, the crowds above the, the players' tunnel at the old Coldblow Lane end. Two faces in the crowd ringed, and they are entitled to um, match tickets on the account of Lottingers Weekly for if they can identify themselves. Below that is Lord Kinnaird at the, at the, um, uh, handing the ball to the opposition captain. And uh, another image of Carmichael, the Millwall goalkeeper, Carmichael. They didn't do first names much in those old times. Um, number four is Lord Kinnaird declaring the ground open. They're shaking hands with the mill captain in his dark blue shirt alongside the Brighton captain in his blue and white stripes, um, which still prevail to this day. Um, other images, Elijah Moore, the mill groundsman, famous figure in mill history, Elijah Moore. He was actually the um, one of the secret team that actually... Um, come over to New Cross to weigh up various sites. The reason that the club moved from the island is also detailed quite nicely by James in the uh, Lions of the South book. Um, it describes it as a deserted island, falling crowds in a nutshell um, on the Isle of Dogs. The, um, the club had obviously drew its origins from the docks and, and, uh, and, and on the island, but it was always a difficult place to get to, so there was a, a somewhat limited pool of supporters over there so um, other clubs such as West Ham such as Woolwich Arsenal uh, and other clubs in London were drawing bigger crowds and Millwall Athletic were finding that the the limitations of that um, curious bend in the river that creates the Isle of Dogs meant that population wise and the the difficulties of travel to get to the end of the island it's a bit of a mission even today I suppose maybe with the DLR, it's it's speeded up, but back then it was was not an easy journey to make, and consequently crowds were proportionally lower for for Millwall Athletic. So despite us being the Lions of the South and you know a very successful side 
in those in those times um there was a an increasing desire to tap into a bigger population um which was found to be at the Surrey docks and uh, New Cross and um that's that's where the, the a, a team was dispatched from the club to travel over and, and size up the um various sites they looked at a few sites one was at the back of the Rose pub in New Cross Gate the actual site of Coldblow Lane was was a kind of like a market garden uh, and that was the site that was eventually chosen in in typical Millwall style there were various missed deadlines to open up the new ground and consequently a series of last ever games on the island um, the actual, the official last game was was actually played against Portsmouth. The ground had actually been due to open for the start of the 1910-11 season, but for various reasons, Coldblow Lane wasn't ready, um, which led to the official last game eventually being put back to October um, the 8th, um, with the final game to be played on the Isle of Dogs, um, a 3-1 victory over Portsmouth, a carnival occasion. James Murray describes it here as uh, Frost putting through Vincent to score in the opening minute, whilst Martin notched up the others, leaving Portsmouth, uh, Portsmouth's Turner the honour of scoring the last ever league goal north of the Thames. So that was the last league game played at, at North Greenwich. The uh, the programme notes, which James quotes here, refers to the, the den, um, everything will be in order for the opening game when the Southern League champions, Brighton and Hove, pay us a visit uh, a fortnight hence. Um, it was little thought that such a delay would occur when it was announced during the close season that the ground would be ready for the opening match of the season. However, as I have before explained, the delay has been quite unavoidable, and whilst many supporters have met with disappointment, the club management have equally suffered, and in no small degree financially. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? So delays and management copying it in the air and um, reminding people that they have also um, been under the cost themselves. But in typical Millwall style, that wasn't quite all at, at East Ferry Road. So that was the last league game, a 3-1 win over Portsmouth in on October the 8th. Uh, two days later at North Greenwich, there was positively, as James puts it here, the last game, a London Professional Challenge Cup tie. And the visitors were none other than, and quite fittingly, as James puts it, Woolwich Arsenal, one of Millwall's oldest foes. The, a, a, an eyewitness wrote that the tie between Woolwich and Millwall in the second round of the London Challenge Cup did not produce much good football. The victory that the home side, so Millwall won it by one goal to nil. Um, so the scuffly game to finish. That sounds very, very familiar to me, dear listeners. Um, there's a really nice few paragraphs that James Murray has written about the 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 kind of severing of the links with the Isle of Dogs, which I'm going to if you'll indulge me, I'm just going to read them back to you. So this is obviously dated October 1910, but it describes the the uh, a kind of imagery of, of leaving the, the Isle of Dogs. So James says, When the final whistle blew, the Millwall players waved to the cheering crowd and said their goodbyes. Millwall were leaving the island, while the island, in turn, had lost a friend, an industry, a recreation, and a vital part of its lifeblood. No longer would the Saturday afternoon crowd pop into Uncle Tom's cabin in British Street for a packet of woodbines and a cup of tea on the way to the match. Or if they fancied some of the harder stuff, Bass and Worthington best bitter at the Lord Nelson, still the closest pub to the ground. Or maybe Taylor Walker's at the Manchester Arms on Cubit Town. Some for luck would stop at Horace Jeffrey's pub, the London Tavern 
on Manchester Road for a pint of Lion Brewery's Mild or Stout. Nor would they visit Elijah Moore's Toilet Club in East Ferry Road for a shave before finding the proprietor overseeing things a couple of hours later at North Greenwich. As bad as the ground was, its very ugliness helped build a legend. It was well known that even if the uncompromising mill defenders and the mighty tiny Joyce didn't put off the opposing attackers, then the young supporters sitting behind the goal throwing handfuls of sand into their faces would. No longer would the new hero Bert Lipsham be seen hobbling off the field with a displaced cartilage and take five minutes to work it back into position under the noses of cheering fans. No longer would Mill be the only club to play in an inland city, yet have the piercing toot-tooting of ships cutting their way through the misty river, just yards from the ground, drowning the cheers of Mill's own supporters. And no longer would those supporters stand together behind the arch's end, facing 120 yards further on the fans at the Cubit town end, together urging on their boys in blue, the old lines of the south, through the clinging mud. When the last bike was collected from Peter George's football grounds cycle score next to the station, all that was left was an empty pitch, a bumpy pitch, deserted terraces and memories. Thousands and thousands of memories. But the fact remained, Mill Football Club had outgrown the island. That's really nice. Um, I don't like to read large sections of, of text. I try to do these a little bit more ad-lib. But that was just beautiful, and I just wanted to read it because I really admire that as a piece of writing that somehow captures the essence that led to our first item on today's show, a page from Lottinger's Weekly, headlined Mills New Ground, when the den, the Coldblow Lane, was the bright, spanking new home of Millwall Football Club. Achtung, Millwall. So there we are, dear listeners. It would be the den in Coldblow Lane, New Cross, where Millwall would truly forge its name and its uh, its reputation, shall we call it. Um, the Island of Dogs being... The Isle of Dogs, not the Island of Dogs. The Isle of Dogs being left behind in 1910. Which takes us on to our second item of Millwall historical and cultural significance. I've chosen a photograph of... Um, that was sent to me, in actual fact. A photograph of the Evening Standard, the London Evening Standard, and it's dated November the 10th, 1967. Um, headline, banner headline, front page of the Evening Standard. We only we only make front pages, listeners, when there's something bad that's gone down, and this was one of the big um, incidents of the 1960s. Another bombshell at the den. Refs told to boycott Millwall. Is the banner headline in this um, evening standard uh, dated Friday, November the 10th, 1967. This piece is by Harold Palmer. More chaos in the soccer world today, he says, exclamation mark. The latest bombshell came from the referees. The Football League Referees and Linesmen Association have advised their members not to officiate at Millwall until the club has completed arrangements to keep spectators off the pitch. This means there may be no referee to take charge of Mill's home game with Portsmouth at New Cross tomorrow, especially as the Referees Association, the national body, have promised support. No blacklegging. Blacklegging is the um, old term for breaking of a strike. Um, the Referees Association must be like a trade union of some sort. Um, uh, the member Cyril Jackson expressed the opinion there'll be no blacklegging and no one would take control of the game and the advice will be that will be the advice given to their members, he says. This followed um, very 
infamous, famous, infamous, I think probably infamous incident that took place against in a, a 2-1 loss against Aston Villa played in, a month earlier in October in which um, uh, the referee, Norman Burtonshaw, was um, attacked, allegedly attacked. <laughs> Choose your words carefully, Nick. Uh, he, he was injured. He was injured in as he left the field following a late disallowing of a mill equaliser in a game against Aston Villa. Um, late, late equaliser, disallowed by Burtonshaw. Um a lot of kids swarmed onto the field, youths, and in the scuffle, let's put it that way, in the scuffle, Burtonshaw was injured. That's probably the best way I'm going to put it, actually. I think that's probably less it's less accusatory, isn't it, dear listeners? Got to be careful how you put these things. So I'm just looking at the Daily Mirror um, one month earlier from that other edition, the Evening Standard. Uh, this is about a month earlier, October the 16th, Daily Mirror. Front page of the Daily Mirror. Oh, gold. We only make the front pages following Riot and Mayhem, dear listeners, don't we? And anyway, we've made the front page banner headlines on the Daily Mirror. KO'd ref, knocked out. Club faces FA ban. Soccer chief warns we may close the ground. Millwall, the, the club in a football storm over mob violence to a referee is expected to have its ground closed down. Um, the referee, Norman Burtonshaw, was knocked out after Millwall lost 2-1 to Aston Villa on Saturday. Hundreds of fans... Mostly teenagers swarmed onto the pitch at Mills Ground, the den in East London, East London, South East London. Then, in angry scenes that followed, Burton Shaw, 41, was battered to the ground. It's very, um, very florid prose here, isn't it? Uh, the FA were considering action, um, which would include closure. I mean, obviously, the den has been closed four times. Um, over history, most recently in 1978, which um, I do remember. Remember going to um, a home game played at Portsmouth in the late seventies, but this this um, we actually avoided closure um, following this incident. The report continues. Um, this is Dennis follows the the FA secretary. I cannot tell you what happened. Oh, this is uh, Burton Shaw's report. Apologies. This is Burton Shaw's report to the FA. He said, he said to the press, "I cannot tell you what happened. Everything will be put in my report to the FA." Trouble flared after Mr. Burtonshaw disallowed a late goal in the closing stages of the game. Um, he had to be rescued by policemen who carried him to the dressing room for first aid treatment. And there's a few other articles in the Daily Mirror um, showing uh, a knocked out Norman Burtonshaw being attended to by St. John's ambulance men. Um, unfortunately, most of the the, the, uh, the scans don't really do justice to the photographs, so you can't really see the full uh full gory reality of it but um there it certainly looks a bit at sixes and sevens um club chairman mr mick mickey purser club chairman said quoted to the press we are very concerned about what happened but beyond saying that i cannot comment until the referee has made his report there are just too many conflicting stories the one thing i'm certain of is that it would be no use closing down the ground for a while this is a nationwide problem and not one that just involves Millwall. Um, he continued that we had ample police at the match. Uh, referee's wife, Mrs. Dor- Dorothy Burtonshaw, Dorothy Burtonshaw of Great Yarmouth, said, Norman was shaken. I don't know why I'm putting this voice on. They said, I'm going to put that voice on. The- Norman was shaken when he got home. He said that the crowd came on a pitch and he was knocked down. That's Dorothy's um, quote. Um, and there we are, front page of the Daily Mirror, alongside an image of um, Elizabeth Taylor dressed up in 
semi-royal looking gear uh, at the um, opening of a new film, Dr. Faustus. Um, but that's unrelated to Millwall matters in any way, shape or form. The club would actually avoid closure, as I've said. Um, I don't know how we avoided closure, <laughs> but we did. Um, we, we got a £1,000 fine and I think we were required to put up fences around the side of the den which were there when I first started going it wasn't a terribly big fence and I think many of the um the great and the good saw the club as um paying lip service to the idea of fences at the den but it was like a very small maybe if it was 12 inches um like a like a yellow rail along the top of the wall really it it served no purpose in keeping anybody off of the pitch that much is for certain but there we are, the uh, all sorts of other articles. I'm just looking through the uh, the search here. Uh, Mills Ground must be closed, says the people, Sunday people. Ken Jones advocating closure. Mill Club has a problem. Um, and so it continues. Um, the Illustrated London News. We even made the Illustrated London News, dear listeners, like a, which is like a society magazine. In fact, that's got a good photograph. I might... I might I might borrow that um, with a, a, a contorted um, Norman Burtonshaw being carried from the field. Um, this is a long series of examples of hooliganism. We, uh, there was a rising time in, of hooliganism in the game. Hooliganism and rioting, not just at Millwall. I mean, this is across the game generally. Maybe maybe my light tone is, is doing a disservice. I, I don't know, but it's... Um, uh, it, it's, 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 it occurs to me as I'm speaking. There's been fighting both on and off the pitch and rowdyism, um, both at matches on the way to and from the ground. That's the, on my, that's the Illustrated London News. So we've certainly made it made it to the big time there, dear listeners. So there we are. Um, the evening stand. I'm going to borrow that Illustrated London News image as well. Um, and my final choice, the final item that we're looking at is the, the plaque that um, we arranged with Lewisham Council to erect on the site of the old den on Colblow Lane. Um, this was back in 2010. Well, that would be one of, one of the anniversaries of um, that'd be 135 years of, uh, since the foundation of the club. But we, I felt it was for a long while that... Um, there was nothing to mark the site of Colblow Lane, the, the ground, with the move to Zampa Road in 1993. The the old den was demolished, as as I'm sure you know, listeners. And sadly for me, the, the it was rebuilt by Fairview Homes, but sadly, in my opinion, the none of the ground, the names of the roads reflected the fact that the den had been there for many many years. No players' names, no, nothing at all. And I felt this was wrong, and consequently, I, alongside um, some members of uh, of the Lions Trust, when I was, I was when I was um, involved with that at the time, um, we applied to Lewisham Council to um, mark it in some way. They 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 have a system of like maroon plaques, which um, they agreed to to put up and. Um, so the the image of the uh, of, of the of the of the plaque was instigated um, by the the Lions Trust. I filled out the form, um, long form actually, asking why this this place was important and why 
it should be marked and um, I filled out a, a, a Lewisham Council form member doing that quite clearly and emailing it in on behalf of all Millwall supporters and in 2010 they put the plaque up um, it was put on like a, a brick stanchion I don't know what you'd call it really a brick kind of um, column as you enter John Williams Close John Williams is not I think that's a fair view choice of of name there's, there's, John Williams is not related to it being Millwall at all Many, many names you could have chosen and that were Millwall related, but not, not John Williams. Um, and we, we had a little ceremony. And was, there's a picture of um, our fan on the board at the time, Pete Garston, alongside the mayor, um, Steve Bullock. Boo! He'd later become a villain of the peace in 2017 when Lewisham wanted to um, repossess our, our car park and develop it. But at this stage, he was still Lions Trust member number one. And a person who um, I think he saw some electoral value in um, throwing his lot in with Millwall, um, and there he is opening up, uh, opening up the plaque in 2010. Um, so there we are. That's that's my own personal link to the plaque. I don't know if it's still there. I think it it was it wasn't high enough in my opinion. It was it was um, it had to be put down quite low. I think we we struggled to get permission to put it on the side of people's houses where it would be up and up higher and you couldn't get to it um so it was fairly low and consequently it was it remains um prone to vandalism i think it was nicked uh, a while ago i don't know i haven't been around there for a long time listeners so i don't know if it's still there um but certainly it was there for some time and it was the best that we could do to mark the um the site of the den so it's a maroon plaque with the the roaring lion and the old patter cake lion's badge um, London Borough of Lewisham. On this site stood the Den, the legendary home of Millwall Football Club from 1910 to 1993. I haven't looked around there for a long time. I hope it's still there. Um, it was. I think it was nicked and they were going to replace it. Whether they did replace it or not, um, I don't know. But there we are, the Millwall plaque. That's the third in our list of items of Millwall um, cultural, culturally and significant, historically significant items um lotting us weekly to start us off at the den we have norman burtonshaw's um, infamous incident in 1967 to give a flavor of uh of, of one that one one angle of mill history that you can't avoid whether you like it or not and then finally the plaque to to close the the door of the den story erected in 19 in 2010 i hope you enjoy these little shows delicious do let me know what you think whether you are or you are not. Um, we're going to carry on with these up to Christmas in the hope that they help to um, just sweeten up the, the current semi-lockdown-ish, not-quite zone that we're in. So there we are. I'll sign out at that point. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. I do appreciate Do let me know any comments you have. Millwall at gmail.com is our email. Uh, we're on Twitter, obviously, at, at Millwall. Uh, do leave us a voicemail if you want, 0208-144-0232. And um, if you're still interested in getting a, 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 a Millwall, Achtung Millwall commemorative calendar for 2022, we've still got a few available. I just, I'd like to get a shot of them all, if I can, and generate a good donation for the Lions Food Hub. But we still do have a few left, so go on to the MSC shop website, Mill Supporters Club shop. Um, and place your order um, not many left now so I'm hoping to shift them all one way and the other over the weeks ahead thank you for listening dear listeners until the next edition 
Thank you for listening and arrivederci me all. Bye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.